welcome to Farm Bureau on the Hill. I'm Amy Beckham, and joining me on today's podcast is Kristen Walker from our Public Policy Division, as well as Shelby Benoy. This podcast is going to be all about some of the accomplishments from public policy that happened in 2023 and what we can expect in 2024. And so jumping right in, Kristen, we're going to start with you and just focus on some of the national issues and then we'll throw it to Shelby to give us an update on some state issues. But Kristen, the last time you were on the podcast, we had just wrapped up a really successful Farm Bill listening session, which is hard to believe that that was back in June. But that was several months ago now, and at the time, we were keeping our eyes on Congress to get a farm bill passed at the end of 2023. So, did that happen? (laughs) Well, obviously, we're in 2024, and we still have a farm bill, but it's not necessarily a new one. Back in November... Congress passed a continuing resolution called the Further Continuing Appropriations and Other Extensions Act. And this resolution does exactly what the name suggests. It prevents an end-of-year omnibus spending bill, which is just a fancy way of saying a large spending bill covering lots of different appropriations. It also allows more time for Congress to consider individual appropriations bills, which most extend into January and February of 2024. But... The most important part for us in agriculture is that this bill, this resolution granted a one-year extension of the current farm bill voted in 2018, and that will last until September 30th of 2024. So saying all that, what does that look like uh, going into 2024? Obviously, we still need to be advocating for a farm bill because we have to get it passed by September 30th, but what can we look for this next year? Well, we still have to come up with the new one because we have a year and essentially we have until the end of 2024 before the expiration of the extension would trigger laws dating back to the 40s, which we really, really don't want. So we need to get it done in this calendar year, but one of the challenging parts of that is that 2024 is an election year. And once we get, once it gets crunch time for that, it'll be much more difficult to keep focus on passing a farm bill, obviously. So best case scenario would be for Congress to really get it done this coming spring. So the clock's still ticking pretty fast, um, even though it feels like we still have a year to get it done. We really need to keep the pressure on our lawmakers to keep the keep the momentum moving, make some agreements, figure out what we're going to do and pass go ahead and pass that bill before we're getting into the nitty-gritty of election season. And so what all we can do as farmers and agriculturalists in Tennessee is continue to talk to our congressmen and senators, share your stories. This farm bill is we like to call it the most important piece of legislation for the ag industry and There's reasons for that in the stories that our farmers tell about how it benefits them. And so if you get to meet with your lawmakers, uh, definitely share this, share how important it is to pass the farm bill. And if you don't have a planned meeting to talk to them, set one up. Um, They want to hear your stories. They want to hear those personal reasons why this is more than just a bill that they have to be in the room to pass, why it matters to people back home. So Make sure they continue to hear how much it matters to get it done, get it done swiftly, and most importantly, get it done well. So we're just really wanting to keep that momentum going. Very good. Well, thank you for that update on the farm bill, Kristen. And again, um, just keep your eye out and be knowledgeable about some of uh, what's happening with the farm bill, especially as we go into the new year. So 
Kristen, there also always seems to be something to talk about regarding pesticides. And you have an update on one of those, maybe some recent movement that we need to know about. So tell us more. Yeah, sure. So recently there has been some discussion surrounding chlorpyrifos. And I'm going to have to say that really slowly because um, all of these pesticides have really fun words. But chlorpyrifos is a pesticide used to control foliage in soil-borne insect pests. And it's been on the market since the 60s. But back in 2021, the EPA vacated all chlorpyrifos tolerances, which is also a fancy way of saying they effectively banned the pesticide for use after being asked by the Ninth Circuit Court to vacate or modify those tolerances for chlorpyrifos. So essentially, farmers couldn't use it after 2021. If, if they already had it on, in stock, there were some rules around that, but you couldn't buy it after that ruling. Once that happened, American Farm Bureau and lots of other ag organizations turned around and sued the EPA alleging that they broke the law because there are 11 key crop applications of chlorpyrifos that have been deemed safe by the EPA, and the EPA did not consider those in their ruling to ban the use of the pesticide as a whole. So EPA was sued for that, and on November 3rd of 2023, the 8th Circuit Court agreed with all of the ag organizations, ruling that EPA improperly ruled out its option to modify those tolerances rather than just vacate them all. In response to that ruling, the EPA's Office of Pesticide Programs has said they will not appeal this court decision and instead will be publishing a modification in the Federal Register that will say that all chlorpyrifos applications are reinstated for a short time, but then they intend early in 2024 to publish a new proposed rule that will revoke all but the uh, those safe applications that were argued in that court case. So essentially those farm uses of chlorpyrifos, they plan to propose a rule to allow those to be used, but no others. So we're happy about this. This was an argument that's been going on for years now, um, but it's just something for those of farmers in the, out there that use chlorpyrifos or may have been affected by it not being on the market that there is some movement happening there and to keep an eye on how that's going into the new year. Perfect. Complicated, but very good update, Kristen. Um, and last but not least, let's talk about none other than black vultures. And obviously um, in Tennessee, we've been talking about this for several years and across the country as well, but there has recently been some discussion in Congress. So share, share with us a little more about what that discussion is all about and and why it could potentially help our farmers. Yeah, so black vultures are no stranger to livestock producers and particularly cattle producers in Tennessee. It's everyone's least favorite bird, I would assume, but livestock producers across the state know all too well how burdensome the growing population of black vultures are in the state. They prey on our young calves, which impact lots of our cow-calf producers here in the state. We're really large cow-calf producing state and that's our income for those of us I grew up on a cow-calf farm those new baby calves are very very important not only are they cute for us and we love to see them but we need them to be healthy and we need them to make it to weaning so that we can make a profit that's what our operation stems from and so when these black vultures come and prey on those calves, it causes significant losses to those cow-calf operations across the state. Since black vultures are protected under the Migratory Bird Treaty Act, 
you have to have a federal permit to legally take them. We're really lucky in Tennessee that Tennessee Farm Bureau has a black vulture sub-permit program we've had with U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service for many years, which allows you to take three black vultures a year. But anybody that's had issues with black vultures knows that three is just simply not going to cut it to ward off black vulture predation. So in response, earlier this year, our very own Congressman John Rose from here in Tennessee introduced the Black Vulture Relief Act, which would remove that permit requirement and allow farmers to report takes as they happen instead of ahead of time. So we're super thankful to Congressman Rose for leading this charge to help livestock farmers find much needed relief for black vultures. And after he introduced the bill in the House, Senator Mark Wayne Mullen of Oklahoma introduced it in the Senate. So we're really looking forward to seeing this bill move forward successfully and are really excited for farmers to get some relief from the issues that black vultures cause. So some really good news to to round out my update with. So you saying that, I assume we're pretty optimistic that that will have support in both the House and Senate and potentially be signed by the president? We're hopeful. I think it's known across the country that black vulture predation is a problem in the cattle industry. And I think that there is a wish to help farmers find some relief across the country. I know that American Farm Bureau, we've had conversations with them and they're supportive of this effort and other ag organizations as well. And so hopefully we can all band together as an ag industry and move this forward and the lawmakers will hear that. Perfect. Well, thank you, Kristen, for that update on national issues, all pertinent um, issues that our farmers need to know about. But now we'll flip it to our state issues. And that's where we will hear now from Shelby Vinoy. And so Shelby, before we head into what we can look forward to in 2024, can you give us a recap of what happened last year and kind of what the status is on those items of business before we head into this next year. Thank you, Amy. And it's good to be here um, when it's chilly outside and gets dark at two o'clock and uh, getting ready to wrap up this season and, and jump into session. But before we do jump into some of the things we're looking forward to next year, um, because we had such a successful year, I think it is, you know, it's a season to remember and, and be thankful and look back at some of the things we accomplished this last year and two issues. And there were so many issues that we covered last session, Amy, but, and, and all of those you can find in old alerts, but two of the things that we are probably the most proud of is our green belt uh, legislation. That was our priority issue. That legislation is now a public act. So it is now in effect. So if you have a piece of property that's enrolled in the green belt program, you will not be penalized or removed from green belt if you either are already enrolled or you choose to enroll in a portion of that land into a state or federal conservation program such as CRP. So as a reminder, we just codified what a judge had said. So we're glad to see that that is finally in statute. And the second thing, I feel like we talked about this a a ton there at the end of session. And I'm not a basketball fan, but I feel like if this were a sport, this would be a buzzer beater bill because it was like the second to last bill that passed on the last day of session in April. And we've talked about this in length, but all it it allows folks who reside along a municipal boundary to DNX if they meet the qualifications set out in statute. So um, some of those things include that you have to be doing something relative to agriculture, um, whether that be filing Schedule F, enrolled in the Greenbelt program. Um, It goes into the details in the bill, but that is something that the Farm Bureau team has been working on for years. So as that 
comes into public act, we're just excited to see how many opportunities that's going to open up for folks who uh, wish to DNX from their municipal boundary. And then one that we're going to continue to discuss, hopefully, um, until 2026 when it's on the gubernatorial ballot is our constitutional amendment. Um, If you recall, we had great success in the House last year with over 80 positive votes. We're still looking to go to the Senate, though, so that'll be coming up in January. So that one will remain a priority issue for the 2024 year as we look to to take on the Senate with that. But it it, it is what it is. It's a constitutional amendment that would prohibit a statewide property tax from being collected Um, If you've not heard us give a spiel about that before, we've not collected a property tax on the state level um, since the 40s. And so this just codifies in our Constitution that principle that our members and and rural landowners are some of the largest payers of property taxes. And uh, we believe that that's a method of payment for local governments and, and should not be a responsibility of the state government. So looking forward to discussing that again. Very good. And it really doesn't seem like it's been that long since we were talking about those issues right here. Um, so this that seemed very normal, <laughs> to say the least. Um, but we're in a new year, and that means new priority issues, new committee hearings, and more updates. And so what can we expect when lawmakers gavel in um, in just a very short time? I think we will have a very interesting session ahead of us. The second Tuesday in January at high noon, we'll start the second half of the 113th General Assembly. Already, it seems like Kevin and I have been lamenting the last few weeks about how crazy it seems November and December have been and were, and um, it feels more like this is a pre-session than any other year that I've, I've been on the Hill, but It seems based on conversations we've already been having, all eyes are going to be on education this year. Earlier in November, the governor announced his plan for his Education Freedom Scholarships, uh, which essentially is a ESA program of sorts. Um, One, a, a pilot program has already been instituted in a few Tennessee counties, but this push from his office would be for a statewide expansion. So we're already hearing lots of conversation on all sides of that issue on on education and and lots of discussion continuing on the discussion of growth and how do we manage that growth and there's so many aspects to that about you know how do we save farmland I mean we've had that discussion what Amy for two or three years now about how we're just continuing to lose land in Tennessee and rural areas at such a rapid pace because of growth and how do we continue to grow we're not trying to inhibit growth but how do we do so in a smart and strategic way while still preserving our rural land and, and keeping that precious green space green. So we're going to continue those conversations. I'm sure there's going to be lots of conversations about how local government plugs into that, um, whether it's a, in regard to impact fees or urban growth boundaries, you name it. I'm sure there will be lots of discussions about the role local government plays in the growth. So growth, education, a lot of the same trends, but I I do think it's going to be a really rapid session um, just based on the work that's already being done these last two months of 2023 leading into 24. And I think we're going to hit the ground running on January 9th and I, we probably won't know we've gotten off the roller coaster until we come to an abrupt stop, but it's going to be an interesting year for sure. Very good. All, all things to know. In terms of Farm Bureau priority issues, anything our folks need to know and be aware of uh, as of right now? 
I would say we haven't formally set our priority issues for 2024 just because we're gearing up to head to Salt Lake and and be a part of the American Farm Bureau Convention. And, and there we'll meet with our board and talk about things. And the bill filing deadline, I think, is January 31st in the House. So that falls right in line with convention. So we'll be wrapping hopefully that short list up here come in just a few weeks. But um, one thing I can promise you will be a priority issue is our constitutional amendment, just because that is still active and ongoing. And, and that has to go through the Senate this session or else essentially the legislation is is moot and dead because it has to pass two general assemblies before it can be on a gubernatorial ballot. Um, so we would have this discussion again in 2025 where we would have to have a two-third passage in both the House and the Senate, and then it would be on the 2026 ballot. So when we're designing our priority issues list, that's one that I've just, I've locked it on the, on my Adobe and it doesn't move because it's going to be there for, for several years to come, but I'm sure we will have plenty of priority issues. We just wrapped up our policy development process at, at our convention in early December and had lots of great changes to our policy and, and some really rapid and robust discussions. So I'm sure there'll be lots to come from that. We've also had some some discussions outside of session uh, throughout the summer and this fall with um, some stakeholders about water, solar, which is a continuation of the Tasser study, uh, farmland loss, land conservation, as I mentioned earlier, and much more. But um, we'll have an official update once we're back in the swing of things. Very good. And as always, um, I don't know if this might be your first time listening or maybe this is your 20th time listening, but we will continue to do these podcasts as session goes each week and you can find it in the legislative alert, which if you're not signed up to receive that, contact your County Farm Bureau or the Public Policy Division and we can make that happen. But we also just share these on our website, um, wherever you listen to podcasts as well. So Shelby, Anything else our folks need to know as we wrap up this big kind of update and head into 2024? I would say two things. One, uh, 2024 is an election year, so Happy New Year. Don't forget to vote. I feel like you cannot say that enough. Um, we'll get things going up on the I Farm I Vote front, um, hopefully soon, just trying to Make sure folks know when elections are. Uh, local elections happen as soon as March, and then we'll head into the August and November elections. But it's never too early to be involved and to be researching those who are going to be on your local ballot. Also, if you are um, a Farm Bureau member and you're not doing anything on March 12th and 13th, we would love to have you in Nashville for our legislative visits. And this will be the first of probably tens of 20s of plugs that I will make between now and then. But contact your County Farm Bureau if you're interested in that. Um, it's a two-day event where you, you come, you pick whatever day works best for you all, come meet with your lawmakers, express the importance of agriculture and what we do, and, and make sure they know that Farm Bureau is the voice of agriculture and uh, get briefed on some priority issues and hang out with some of your friends from across the state. So we hope to see you there. Ditto to what Shelby said. Um, and we just thank you, Shelby, for a great update and uh, you as well, Kristen, um, for sharing about national issues. Um, thank you both for that insight as we move into this new year. And we want to thank y'all for listening. I um, appreciate you tuning in and we just continue to encourage you to listen in for more updates as we head into January and February and this busy legislative session. So have a great day and thanks for joining us. For Farm Bureau on the Hill, I'm Amy Beckham.